0: Holy, Holy, Holy Father. I, I'm moved by the thought, the reality of just how huge you are this morning. I'm moved in my mind by, by Isaiah's descriptions of the temple that you call your home where when you open your mouth and speak, the very air turns to smoke because the air itself must praise you. And angels, seraphim, the, the cherubim, the burning ones, they cover their, their faces, they cover their feet at the sound of the thunder of your word. And here, miracle of miracles Those words we hold them between two black leather covers of a book, those same words. Father, I, I ask you to implant in us such an awe, such a such a, a respect for for you and your word this morning, that we will cover our our faces, cover our feet even as the angels do. And I ask that in our ears, your word would be the thunder of high heaven to us this morning. And I ask that we, by by hearing it, by embracing it, by making it our own, would be transformed thereby. Send your spirit to this place. This is our, our prayer, our plea. And more than that, it is our claim, because you've told us to claim it. You've told us two or three can come together and ask, and we will never, never be denied. So let the word of God speak this morning and set me aside. This is my prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I don't know if the original title to this message is anywhere on your documentation, but the original title was a simple two-word title, The Gospel. But this morning, I'm upgrading the title to six words. The blank, 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 gospel, and I'm doing that for a couple reasons. One, because I think that it more fitly represents the, the essence of what we're talking about this morning, and also because... That's the format the rest of the titles will follow for the rest of the week. So, the title this morning is The Power of the Personal Gospel. The Power of the Personal Gospel. I'm I'm going to go... There's your title. I'm going to go a step further. And I'm going to give you a... uh, a thesis statement, if you will, right off the bat. Because the, the, the gospel is a theme of such beauty and such complexity that there is no way it can be rightly uh, you know, delineated or described in 30 minutes. It can not be done in 30 days, but we only have 30 minutes this morning. So I'm going to, before I beat around the bush and establish a bunch of um, supportive material and, and try to prove my point before I've given you my point, I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. And that is this. Until the gospel becomes the reason why you are alive, you haven't tasted life. Until the gospel becomes the reason why you are alive, you have not tasted life. And I believe it is the intention of God that we should all taste life. So join me this morning as I as I go back in my own mind to to my office where I'm, I'm pacing, lion-like, over a little um, passage in Romans, which we will address shortly forthwith. And the dawn is, is just um, just coming to light outside the, the windows on the east wall. And I'm, I'm wrestling on my knees, on my feet, on my face. And I finally end on my knees before God saying, Lord... We have got to understand this. this, this gospel, this grace, this truth, who you are. Do we not need to understand who you are? And then as a flash, it's like the pieces flew together in my mind, pieces from the scripture that we're about to open and, and others. And I, I understood. I saw it. I saw that when the people of God understand who he is, really, the great controversy will be over. Now that's what I like to hear. But my question is, what's our problem? What's our problem? That's probably what all the angels in glory would like to know. For after all, the gospel is the story of God with us. Yes? And if God before us, who can be? All right. So, this king arrives to a stable fresh from a farewell party in heaven where all of heaven was wonderingly worshiping the one who spoke, and it was, who commanded, and it stood fast, This God who was always for us, and now he is God with us, and before he leaves, he promises that he will be God dwelling in us through his Spirit. So if the gospel is really the promise, yea, the fulfillment of this God with us, my question is this, why do we ever find ourselves alone? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. This is the Son that shares glory with the Father. The stars running their courses, the planets spin in synchrony, and lo, the plan goes on, sustained by the heartbeat of the life of God itself. And so the frailty of humanity is linked with the inestimable power of the deity, of divinity. And when the tempter catches God with us at his weakest human moment, he finds that his sophistries are still insufficient because the word is come down and the world is no match for it. But really, if the gospel is the undiluted power of the omnipotent God, then why do I keep falling? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. All things work together for good to those who love God. His glory is his children's good. The story goes on. Love claims the victory and the advantage over and over through the centuries, and and it snatches the prey from the mighty. Out of weakness makes men strong, waxes valiant in fight, turns to flight armies of aliens, made reference to that chapter last night, And and all for a highly, highly undeserving race. And why? Because that's what love does. But again, I ask, if the the gospel is really the secret weapon of a benevolent empire, if it is really heroism at its best, the giving of life, if it is really both an end and a means, which which I fully espouse and agree with, then, then why do I sometimes, in secret or not so secret, cooperate with the conspiracies of the dark side? Why do I ever fall for the stupidity of sin and stoop to be selfish or rude or lustful or proud or hateful? Why indeed? I'm going to answer that question with two more questions. And for the first one, the first question of two, what is this gospel really? And the second, how do I make it mine? My reason for living. So to answer the first one, what is this gospel? Really, I want you to turn to the book of Romans. Now, Romans is a feared book. Why? Uh, I know there's probably a lot of reasons, but I, was in, I went to a Bible study once where at the end of the Bible study, there was discussion. What shall we you know, study next? And Someone, just, someone suggested, oh, let's you know, study the book of Romans. And immediately the consensus was, wait, <clears throat> but if you're going to study the book of Romans, we need to agree on our commentaries. Because pretty much you can't understand the book of Romans without, you know, commentaries. And I'm here to say, wait, is this a Bible study or a commentary study? But that's neither here nor there. I happen to think that God hides some of the clearest and simplest statements about himself. In places like the book of Romans, which people look at and they're like, ooh. Ah! And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because the carnal and the careless shouldn't know. But I think those of us who understand the love of God, when we put put these difficult Bible passages against the concept, the construct of the love of God, suddenly they become utterly simple. And we see the deepest things about who God is. So we're going to go to Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This, This verse was referenced yesterday too. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 And it reads this way, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, ah, greatest words of all time, the just shall live by faith. All right, now, in, by means of explanation, by means of digging into this first a little bit, I want to just define a few terms. You help me. Believe. What does it mean to believe? To accept is true. To accept as true. true. I like that. In fact, that's what the dictionary says. Imagine that. If I, if I, okay, by way of, by way of illustration, when I go through line anywhere, anytime to eat, I always grab two napkins. One, I usually need two napkins. But if I don't need the second napkin, always somebody else needs it or they overturn their cup or something, you know? So it's just part of... uh, That's what I do. Two napkins. Now, say at breakfast this morning, I forget both of my napkins. And I sit down and... No napkins. You also forgot your napkin. You're going to get one. I don't really know you at all. But I say, You want to get a napkin? Can you grab me a napkin? You say... Sure, no problem. I believe you will. I believe you will, but do I have any evidence that you will? No, no really? So, but I count it as true, yes? Mm-hmm. Why do I count it as true? Well, that's what you would do. He said so. That's what I would do. I choose to. Mm-hmm. Belief is a choice. Mm-hmm. Belief is a choice. Another term faith this one was discussed yesterday and i loved the definition yesterday i think there's i think faith is so huge kind of like the gospel is so huge there must be 100,000 definitions but faith how is faith and belief different faith comes by the word. ah faith comes by the word so there has to be some kind of evidence, evidence. faith is cultivated Here's my working definition for this passage, and you can shoot, shoot me down, tell me you, th- you think I'm wrong. Belief is a choice I make, counted as true, in my head. Faith is a confidence we find, a confidence in the case of us and God, born out of love. If I ask you to do me some great favor and you are a total stranger, and I know that great favor is going to cost you some kind of sacrifice, it's a stretch to think that you should do it. But if you are my best friend, if you are my flesh and blood and I am confident, absolutely supremely confident in your love for me, I have a reason for believing that you will do what I've, what I've asked you to do. That's faith. A confidence we find based upon and built upon on top of a belief that we choose. Third term, the gospel. What is the gospel? Ah, not so easy. Okay. So we'll turn to scripture itself, to explain itself for this one. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Substitute. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who counts it as true. True. Well, that's good. It is the power of God, but that still does not exactly tell us what is this, you know, how, how is it the power of God? Let's keep reading. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This is why the gospel is the power of God. For in it, because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Give me another word for righteousness of God. Righteousness. Right doing. right doing. Holiness. Holiness. Ah, that's the word I'm looking for. Justice. The justice, the righteousness, the, whole, the character of God is revealed in the gospel story. Now, the whole problem with the great controversy is built off of one premise. God is not love. That's the theology of the dark side. God is not love. Our theology is God is love. love. The gospel is power because it is the truth about the character of God revealed to man. In other words, the gospel is the truth about God, which is power. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Or, the just will find life through confidence in the truth about God. Life is having confidence in the truth. No wonder the gospel is said to be so simple. The moment we really believe that God is love... Sin loses its luster. And you love God back automatically. That's the way we're wired. Have you ever heard it said, the truth shall make you free? But I digress. The gospel is power. And so I refer, I return to my former question, what is our problem? The problem is, my friends, the gospel is not mine. Or, maybe more appropriately said, I do not belong, soul and body, to the gospel. There is only one way to live fully alive. Scripture states that life comes through an unshakable confidence in the truth about God. Easy enough, yeah? So we think. The truth is sometimes harder to find than we seem to think. But why? But why? There are implications to my confidence in God that reach beyond what most are ready to give. The gospel, let me explain this to you very clearly the gospel is a glorious epidemic. Everyone who is infected becomes a carrier. And the gospel is utterly free, but it is highly demanding. It is a possession It is my possession by gifting. But when it becomes my possession, it takes possession of all that I possess. It demands my all, and no compromise is acceptable. And it costs me dearly, because the principle of the gospel, in the words of one of the great um, career missionaries of our time, Jackie Polinger, is this: "The principle of the gospel is this, and I quote: "The gospel always brings life to the receiver, and death to the giver." The beautiful thing is that the gospel itself works this transformation. This isn't some muscle up and pull, you know, pull myself up by the bootstraps thing, because we don't have what it takes to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps anyways. And pulling yourself up by the bootstraps does not gain you any elevation. What it is, is utterly, is utter abandon of myself. Why? The servant is not greater than his Lord. And the Lord utterly abandoned himself and everything that was familiar, everything that was beautiful, everything that was precious to him. Until we do the same, until the gospel has cost us everything, ending with who we are, the gospel is none of ours. Until the gospel is ours, life is none of ours. I live in a world... Surrounded by beautiful people. And this is why this stirs me as it does. And this is why this causes me to pace back and forth, lion like, in my office in the morning as I'm contemplating the gospel, what it is, and why I don't have its power. I live in a world surrounded by beautiful people who have been lied to. And the lies, whether told by, by, By a teacher, by a parent, by an abuser, by you name it, by, by society at large. Those lies are taking a daily toll. And God watches those lives take their daily toll. And he looks down from heaven, Jeremiah says, and he wonders that there is no intercessor. And of course, that tugs at my heart, right? Because I'm a soft-hearted guy anyway. And so I get on my knees and decide, okay, for the next hour or two, I'm going to pray for so-and-so and and hope against hope that that constitutes intercession. Well, I've learned something about intercession of late. God needs people to pray passionate and tearful prayers over and over again but he doesn't need that nearly so much as he needs a man or woman who will stand in the breach between the weak and the devourer. Stand, not with tears and words, but with a life. A life so sold out to God that God can use it to publish to the world the truth. A life that shouts to the entire empire of evil, earthly and supernatural, God is love thereby making men free the problem my friends is us we are not changing fast enough to keep up with the competition and the word is power so it's not the word's fault enough words god needs lives I am sometimes interrupted midstream through a rant of, you know, pleading for a soul by a little voice that says, I got that. Now pray for yourself for a great submission that I might have someone through whom to work this miracle. Question number two, how do we make it? How do I make it mine? Literally, it is as simple as believe the truth and then sell all to receive it. Our people say, believe, believe. You know, you got to believe. And once you believe, you know, that's it, right? Yeah, that's it. Only that believing is not enough because you have to believe the truth. Believing something doesn't make it the truth. It's the truth that makes us free. The truth about who God is, and the truth about who God is, is God is love. But then we have to sell all. We must believe the truth. To do that, we must first know the truth. And to know the truth, we must be found seeking the truth. Scripture says, you shall seek me and find me, if you shall search for me with? Ah, blessed promise. This truth isn't actually out of our reach. Then sell. Sell Everything, including, most notably, your right to yourself. Pray for a brave heart, but not so that you can charge into battle and hack at the enemy. Pray that you will be brave so that when God asks for, from you what you hold dearest, you'll be brave enough to give it to Him. Until the gospel becomes the reason why you're alive, you haven't begun to live. This is the challenge I want to leave with you this morning. A challenge and then a charge. The challenge is this. Remember these three words, anything for you. Those words come out of my mouth all the time. And maybe it's just because I'm an accommodating person by, by nature and maybe, I don't know, it's partially habit. But when, when, when my dear mother or my dear sister or, or you know, whoever asks, me, asks of me some favor, my standard answer is, sure, anything for you, dear. Well, those are just little words and you know, we laugh and, it's, and we have a beautiful time. But what if that was our response to God? What if that was our response to God before we heard his question? When he said, Sean, I need you. Sure, anything for you. What if? Do you know that God never asks you anything to do anything that will harm you? So why don't we automatically answer, yes, anything for you? Why do we sit in the corner and say, oh, should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? Should I, should I not? Should I, should I, should I not? I know I should. I, should, I, should, I, should, I, should I, I know I should. I know, but this is so hard. Why is it so hard? Why? Because we stopped to ask ourselves why. Mm-hmm. Forget it. God is love. When we really believe that God is love, sin loses its luster and its hold. The truth. Let the truth reign in our hearts today that God might reign there. So this is my challenge to you. Anything for you. Give God a pre. When you wake up in the morning, let the first thing that you do be to give God a preconditioned yes. Yes, I do not know what you will ask of me today, but whatever you ask of me, the answer is yes. You can have it. And then, as we, and then the charge as we go through this this weekend of. Of hearing the word of God opened and spoken. Let it not be just another the gospel, the beautiful story, Christ come down, matchless condescension, you know, all of this, all of this language that we know that's become a part of us, ish. It's, it's become a part of what's around us. I don't want it to be the gospel. I want it to be my gospel, your gospel so we can have life. Let's pray. Holy Father, your word is power. When we find ourselves powerless, when we find ourselves rebellious, when we find ourselves weak, unwilling, broken, It's because some, somewhere we've lost the link to life. Life was your idea in the beginning. Love is who you are. I pray that you would reconnect the link between your children and the life from which we have come. And I pray that you would, in so doing, create in us a great submission to you so that when you say, there is a problem in my kingdom and I need someone to fill the gap. That we won't be going there because our, our, our hearts are full of hero, thoughts of heroism and how great it would be to be a strong man for the kingdom of heaven. We just go there because you whispered it in our ear and because we do what you say. My prayer is make the gospel ours this weekend. And my prayer is also for the rest of our lives, let us give you yes, 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 only yes, not deferred yes, not conditional yes, just yes by itself. That's my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse